you probably heard Vacation Bible School was about being a torch bearer. Now, we just went through the uh, Olympics a couple weeks back, and I'll be honest with you, uh, due to my schedule, uh, and I just really didn't get to watch a lot of it, and I have to be honest when I tell you the only uh, Olympic Games that I really got interested in was uh, many years ago, back in 2004, uh, there was a swimmer that for some reason I just had a connection to. At least I felt like I did. Uh, probably because he, uh, he and I share the same last name. Now, in the words of Forrest Gump, I, we are not relation, okay? But it was kind of neat to see someone because, you know, I don't have a last name like Smith where every, you, know, you can find someone uh, all over the place. So Michael Phelps was like the, the star of the Olympics. And uh, so on August the 13th, 2004, uh, the, the Olympic Games started. Now, what most people don't realize is, is that Michael Phelps was actually in the Olympics, or he actually trained for the Olympics even four years before that. But before there was a Michael Phelps, there was a man named Mark Spitz, S-P-I-T-Z. And he had won all these medals. And yet this is what uh, Phelps said before he uh, got into the Olympic Games. He said, I started swimming when I was six years old. I swim every day for about two to two and a half hours. I do doubles on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during the school year. And then Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday in the summer. Now, uh, you know, the, the question was, was he going to be able to break the record? And, of course, we all know, looking back, he's in the history books because I believe in one, um, just in that one uh, Olympics, he won about eight medals. Well, he won three gold medals in the Olympic trials, and then one lady reported that when Mark Spitz presents Phelps with the medal, Lisa Dillman of the Los Angeles Times said, all that was missing was the flaming torch being passed and a rainbow over the harbor. I want to talk to you this morning about passing the torch. When you watch uh, someone put the gold medal around someone's neck and raising their hand in victory, you can't help as a believer to think about what are we doing to be torchbearers for the next generation. And so what we want to talk about is really, are we ready, in the stage of life that we're in, are we ready to pass the torch? Now, I'm not saying give up your ministry, I'm not saying any of that, but all of us should, should be able to recognize that at some point, every Elijah is given an Elisha. Someone that God has said, you know what, you've done what you're supposed to do, now you need to pass the torch. This should be the task of every believer in Christ, to move from trainee to trainer, from servant to master, from torch bearer to torch passer. If it's not happening right now, what you need to do is begin to pray, Lord, send someone that I can pass the torch to, and I guarantee you he will. 
Every Paul has a Timothy. Someone in your life that, other, that is looking up to you. We often say things like, you know, leaders have influence. Let me tell you, every one of you in this room have influence. Someone in your sphere of connection, someone that you talk to or deal with, maybe it's multiple people. Stop thinking that because you don't have a title or that you don't have a certain degree that you don't have influence. Everyone has influence in the kingdom of God. That's scary, but it's true. In 1 Kings 19, we read the call of Elisha. In verse 19, we read, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. He was plowing the twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. And Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak, or his mantle, around him. And then Elisha says, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and I will come to you. Now, why was Elijah chosen to follow Elijah? Well, a few verses back, if you went back to verse 16, uh, Elijah had a talk with God who said, uh, in verse 16, Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. All of us will have a successor. Someone who will come after us, sometimes it's family members, sometimes it's, it's, it's friends or, or people that we've been able to mentor. Uh, I can look back at my own life and say, God put certain people in my life so that I can be where I am today. There are no self-made men or women. Everyone that you've ever seen that had influence or had power, um, someone helped them along the way. I love John Maxwell's illustration. He says, if you see a turtle sitting on a signpost, I guarantee you he had help getting there. All of us, if we are where we are today in our spiritual walk, We've had help. Thank God we've had help. Many times it's been your core officers. In fact, in my life, I can name two or three core officers. You've only had so many when you go to training at 19. I can't list but so many. But they had influence. YPSMs in my life who had influence. God has someone in your life, maybe multiple people, that he wants you to pass the torch. And the only way you're going to know who your apprentice is is to be in conversation with God. Elijah was in conversation with God. God was telling him what the prophet needed to be doing. And so he was able to obey. You know, the truth is, people who are champions, you know, I think of Tom Brady. Now, you can love him, I wouldn't say you can hate him. You shouldn't hate him. But you just have to give the man credit. He's almost literally running out of fingers to put Super Bowl rings on. And you, it's, what's amazing is, you know, when I think of uh, NFL players, you know, what you don't often realize is in terms of lifespan on the field, it's not a long lifespan. Uh, depending on the position you play, you may play for three to five years and be lucky not to be injured. Tom Brady has played several years and, and really probably could be titled the greatest of all time. And what do we know about champions? They don't want to stop. He wants to keep playing. 
They want to try to stay in the race, stay in the game as long as they can. But there comes a day, even for people like Tom Brady, when you will no longer be the leader. And someone will need to lead you. If you want to be a great leader, you know what the first thing you have to learn how to do? Take orders. Good leaders follow directions. Elijah was a good leader. You know why? Because he followed the voice of the Lord. You want to do great things for God? Sometimes what you and I think is, uh, is, is great and big, God is saying, wait a minute, it's the little things that are great. In fact, Jesus said, if you can't be faithful in the little things, what makes you think you're going to be faithful in the big things? And so we understand, Elijah understands, I won't always be God's man for this hour. And there'll need to be another. And so God told him to anoint Elisha, but he doesn't give him the title yet. And he says, you know what? You're not ready, but you still need to be around me. You need to see what, what goes on. We would call that an apprentice, right? Someone who... Uh, is, is following along and can watch and, and learn from someone who is older. Paul and Timothy had that great relationship. And so time passes, and in the Scriptures we're told that there's a, a war and Jezebel plots and, and murders, and the prophet Elijah comes and prophesies the result of killing uh, an innocent man over a vineyard. And there's war. And then we read in the closing chapter of 1 Kings, Ahab, the evil king, dies. And a lot transpires up into the last part of uh, 1 Kings. And then in 2 Kings, we have a confrontation between Elijah and the king of Samaria. And fire comes down. And all those scripture does not fill us in entirely between chapter 19 to 2 Kings. We can understand just from knowing what we know about Elijah, he was about the business of God. Let me say this to you. When you're not in the spotlight, still be in the, about the business of God. Because God is watching. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to encourage you. That God is watching you. God sees what other people don't see. I can't tell you how many times in my own ministry I've had to just finally say, you know what, Lord, you knew. The D.C. didn't see it. DHQ didn't see it. My core sergeant major might not have seen it. The board member may not have seen it. But, Lord, I have to give a step in faith and say, you know what, Lord, you know. And you've done that too. You've had to say, you know what, Lord, all this stuff I've done in your name, at least you've seen it. So, friends, be faithful when no one else sees. Be faithful when you're the apprentice. Be faithful when you're the one leading. You see, when God is speaking into your life, it is easy to be distracted by what others may say or may not say. The company of prophets reminds Elijah in 2 Kings uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Do you not know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today to Elisha? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Friends, there are times when the Lord will ask you to do things that just seem crazy. 
Maybe it's speaking to someone that you haven't spoken to. Maybe uh, you've had a relationship that didn't go well, and the Lord says, you need to make amends. You know what we first say? Why does it got to be me? Why can't they do it? I was reminded uh, in a little book I have that says, the Lord is very loud about how I should treat others and very silent on how others should treat me. But you see, the, the thing that we have to ask ourselves in our life, who is God saying, you know what, pass the torch to them? Jesus did. Did you know that? We don't really think about it, but he was a torchbearer, and he passed the torch to his disciples. Elijah, uh, Elijah ultimately, before he is taking up into heaven, Elisha understands that he's going to need Elijah's power and even more of it. And basically, Elisha basically says in our, in our 21st century language, he says, I've watched your performance. I've seen you in competition. I have witnessed the records you have set. Now I want to set a record for myself, one that exceeds you. And what does Elisha say? He says, I need a double portion of your spirit. Verse 11 in that chapter tells us that a chariot of fire and horses. Now that would be one of those things in scripture where if somebody said, what, what would you have liked to see? There's two things I would have loved to see. I would love to see uh, Ezekiel's wheel, whatever that was or is. And I would have loved to see the chariots of fire swoop down and pick up Elijah. I always think, you know, people like Steven Spielberg, they really miss an opportunity of not doing some, some great uh, filming and CGI over some of the great stories in the scriptures. But Elisha saw that Elijah was going to be taken up to the Lord and said, uh, he took his own clothes and tore them apart and he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Reminds you of another story, doesn't it, of the power of God. When Moses, uh, when God delivered the Egyptians, uh, not the Egyptians, the Israelites, the Hebrews, and he miraculously made the water separate. And the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground. Now, let me just ask you this. What would have happened if Elisha did not keep up, if he was not preparing himself by uh, attending uh, to Elijah? What if he had just said, you know, let's just say he's the swimmer. And he starts the race, he swims across the pool. And you know, when they're, the Olympic swimmers are swimming, you know, they have to go to the next side and they touch the pool and then the next guy jumps in. What if he said, you know what, I, I've got other things that are really taking priority and I don't really need to train. I don't really need to discipline myself. I don't have to really get ready for this Olympic event. It's almost become second nature uh, to me. 
you know, if Mark Spitz would have thought that way, we may not have seen a Michael Phelps. You know, the sad thing is, there's a lot of people who are believers who just stop. They don't discipline themselves. They say, you know what, I'm saved, so everything is totally fine. I'm not worried about the next generation. And their influence dies. Where would we be? Just think about your life for a second. Where would you be if your mentor just said, you know what, I'm done. I, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not worried about sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. Things probably wouldn't be how they are right now. It would be ridiculous if in the middle of an Olympic event, a swimmer or a, uh, a gymnast just decided, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to walk away. Michael Phelps wouldn't have won a slew of Olympic medals if that were to happen. And let me tell you something else. He would not have won all the medals because of what he did at the Olympics. You know why he won those medals? Because of what he started doing when he was six years old. Do you know how you can have a great impact for Christ? It's really not what we're doing right now, believe it or not. It's what you're doing all the days in between. It's what you're really doing the Mondays through Saturdays. You see, this is, and, and please understand where I'm coming from, this is the easy part. Where we sit in here together, one mind, hopefully, as one body. And we, we take in what the preacher gives us or we take in what the Sunday school teacher gives us. The hard part is being uh, the torchbearer on Monday morning. In closing, I got one other Olympic illustration for you. In 1954, a man named Roger Bannister broke the world record and ran the mile in under four minutes. Now, I could probably run a mile in 40 minutes. But four minutes is pretty good. In the whole of the history of the human species, at that point, no one had been able to do that. It had been considered impossible. Beyond the physical limits of the human body, year after year, runners had come closer and closer, but no one was able to break the four-minute barrier. Not only did Roger practice and train, he constantly rehearsed the event in his mind until he truly believed that he could do it, even though nobody before had been able. Within a year of breaking his psychological barrier, of breaking the record, 37 other runners did too. And one year later, almost 300 runners had broken that record. Unbelief holds us back more than anything else. The battle that goes on in your spirit and mind about what you will believe God says or what you won't believe, that's where we truly succeed or fail. Before anyone has done anything spectacular, whether it be an Olympian, gold medalist, uh, whether it be someone who has committed themselves to uh, you know, academia and Whatever they have done, they have had to fight first in here. The Bible reminds us that whatever a man thinketh, so is he. 
And Scripture tells us that we have the mind of Christ. Now, does that mean that we know everything? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it should mean is that we can think as Jesus would think. What does the Bible tell us? It tells us whatever is true, whatever is pure, think on these things. Fear will keep you from being a torchbearer. It's time to recognize, friends, who you are in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, this is how he describes you. This is how he describes me. If you are a believer, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the paraphrase, the message, Paul states in 1 Timothy 4, 6, you've been raised on the message of the faith and have followed sound teaching. And then he tells Timothy, pass on this counsel to the Christians there and you'll be a good servant of Jesus. What is our job? It's not just to be saved and then go to heaven. It's to be saved and get others saved. And if you can't get others saved, it's at least to live in such a way that people see you and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me just stop right here and just say something that I think needs to be said to all of us. Do you? And I don't have to tell you about what's going on in Afghanistan, but there is something you may not realize. There's a pretty uh, comparable-sized population of Christians there that know that if the Taliban continue to strengthen, they will be persecuted. In fact, there was a pastor that was interviewed, and they asked him, what are you going to do? And you know what they said? He said, we're not going anywhere. We're going to commit ourselves to Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to ask myself, how many churches in America would say that? How many Christians could say that? When you and I read in Revelation and we read of those surrounded over the throne, there are martyrs. These are people who will give their life for the sake of Christ. You're talking about people who are torchbearers. You're talking about people who have lived what they say. And you know what? It's easy to say things, but the truth is all of us always live out what we truly believe. Talk is cheap, folks. We always, no matter what we say, we always live out what we really believe. And if you and I truly believe in the gospel, we will give ourselves fully to Christ. If you train, if you dis discipline yourself, you will be a torchbearer for Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 mentions all different torchbearers. We call it, or I like to call it, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Many names. Now, of course, Noah and Moses and David are always thrown out, but there's many names that are mentioned. These are people who went on before us, setting the mark, winning the gold, so to speak. Most importantly, they set the standard that we live our lives to, and, they, and this ultimate standard is by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Hebrews 12, it reminds us 
After you read all those names in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, weary run a tough race as a Christian. And the writer of Hebrews says, I know that it's easy to want to give up. I know it's easy to grow weary and to lose heart. But when you start to feel that way, you know what he says or she says? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? You know what a gold, uh, a metal, you know, believe it or not, I ran a marathon. I wasn't, I didn't weigh what I weigh now. But I ran with my daughter, Mia, who can still run pretty fast. And I remember it was a 3K, wasn't it? No, a 5K. I don't even know what a 3K is. I probably couldn't do that today. But I remember after about every mile, there were cheerleaders. There were people who, would, who were standing on the side cheering you on, telling you you could do it. You know, friends, you know why so many Christians throw their hands up and grow weary and lose heart? Because there's no one cheering them. We need to be encouragers. We need to encourage one another. We don't need to be folks that will kick you while you're down. We, need to ha we, we have to understand that this is not a sprint. It is a marathon, and we have to have strength for it. We have to have conditioning for it. How do we get conditioning? We read our Bibles. We fellowship with other believers. We pray. We stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and what He says in our hearts. And so this morning, friends, I want you to start thinking about, maybe you already know people that you can say, I've passed the torch to them. But friends, God is looking for torch bearers and torch passers. Because the truth is, every generation needs someone to bring the light of Christ into a dark world. Billy Graham's gone. He did his job, right? Somebody asked in Bible study, is there going to be another one? I don't have the answer to that. But I can say this. Uh, maybe what we, we don't need Billy Graham's. We need you. It's easy to look at somebody and say, well, you know, that's what they did. I, that's just not for me. No, as Christians, we're all Billy Graham. You know why? Because what did he do? He preached the gospel. He told others about the love of God. That's what you and I are called to do. And, when, and, if, if, and if God wills for us to have an Elisha in our life, he is saying, you, they, that I have put them in your life, uh, not put them in your way, but put them in your life so that they can see what it means to be a Christ follower. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, those that you go to school with or relate to, 
they are needing to see what a real Christian can be like. Uh, I saw on social media somewhere somebody said, there's someone who is desperately needing you to live the life God called you to live because they're looking to you. And you may say, well, that's, that's, that's overwhelming. It is. But God is saying, I will help you. You can, you can live out the life that I want you to live. You can, you can be a torch bearer with His light, not my light. I have no light outside of God. But friends, today, what we need to do, we need to get back in the race if you've gotten out. We need to reignite our passion and finish the race that God has set before you. Now, you know, I'm not called to run your race. You're not called to run my race. But when I stand before God, he's not going to say, now, you know, uh, Colonel so-and-so or Captain so-and-so or Miss so-and-so did this, why didn't you? He's going to say, I, I set a race before you. Did you finish? And hopefully, you and I can say, as Paul said, that I finished the race. I did what I was supposed to do. And I believe if you do that, there will be in your life a Timothy. There will be an Elisha who you can pass the torch to and say, you know what, I did what I was supposed to do. Now it's your turn. I'm going to ask the uh, pianist to come and, and, and play. And as she plays, I would just want you to really think about making sure we're doing what God wants us to do because others are watching. You do have uh, influence. It's not just the person that stands behind a pulpit that has influence. Every one of you do. And so, friends, as the piano plays, I want you to, to pray and to really ask God, Lord, help me to be what, what I ought to be so that those who see me can see Christ through me.